Hi, and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And today we will be talking about one of the short stories we have mentioned before, actually. Yeah, we're talking about the yellow yellow wallpaper. Go ahead. We're talking about the yellow wallpaper. (laughs) (laughs) Where are all our bluffs? moments and the the beginnings and the ends. Hashtag outtakes. So The Yellow Wallpaper, written by Charlotte Perkins Gilman, published in 1892 in America, again. If you want to read the story, you can go ahead. But the gist of it is we've got a narrator who is an unnamed woman, I think. I don't think she has a name. I don't think so. Yeah. Everybody else does. That's true. Very pertinent. Pertinent. Haha. <laughs> One of our words of the last episode. So our narrator is an unnamed woman who has recently had a child. It is revealed. We find out that she probably has postpartum mood disorder, which is diagnosed incorrectly, obviously, as hysteria because it is the Victorian era. Her husband, John, who is a physician, prescribes the rest cure, which was a very common prescription for hysteria at the time. So basically, she has to stay in a room in isolation. Basically, the worst thing to do if you have PPMD. Yeah, she was uh, prescribed like the rest cure, which is supposed to like, you know, have you live as domestic as life as possible, which again, as you were about to say, not good. No, she slowly loses her mind staring at the yellow wallpaper in the upstairs room where she is locked up all day long every day. And she ends up thinking that there is a woman trapped in the wallpaper. And then she tries to free the woman. And then she ends up kind of merging with this woman she has imagined and lets her out and becomes her. Um, So I'm going to do a a content warning for postpartum mood disorder. It is a very serious and very common disorder. If you have it, you should talk to your doctor or if you think someone else that you know has it, you should probably talk to them if you're in that kind of relationship. But basically, it's feelings of anxiety or isolation or frustration after having a baby. It can happen to any gender of person, whether you give birth to a baby or your partner gives birth to a baby or you adopt a baby. It happens to between one in four and one in six new parents. And hashtag the worst thing is what John did. Don't do that. What you should do is you should be spending time with people and with your baby and being affirmed as a person and as a parent. And you should not be locked in an attic by yourself. With bad wallpaper. So now that that's out of the way, here are some potential readings of this. So I think, you know, let's start with the part that resonated with me the most, which was Women not being listened to when they have something to say about their medical issues, which I think is like a thing that's still going on a lot in the world. Are we calling her Gilman or Charlotte? Wikipedia calls her Gilman. I feel like we're on a first name basis as we were with Jay, though. Jalford. So upsetting. Um, So Charlotte herself had an experience with uh, postpartum mood disorder. Yeah, she actually had a severe bout of postpartum psychosis, which comes along with hallucinations that we see in the short story. And her doctor, we're not even going to tell him his name because he's not important right now, but the John Analog put her on the rest cure and told her to like, just, you know, live a domestic life. And she was like, I'm having none of that. You're wrong. And he kept like going for it and then she got a second opinion from get this a woman whoa and like she was told to like start doing activities and like living her life and like trying to do things 
so I think that's um that's the part that resonated with me the most is that like her husband and her brother basically told her that she knew nothing about her own condition. Yeah. Which is absurd. They completely took away all her autonomy. Yeah. And they were both doctors and they both thought they knew the best and they were both following terrible Victorian medical advice. Terrible. They're super condescending. Her husband, whenever she makes a suggestion about like what she needs, she's like, oh, I think maybe if I like went outside or maybe if I had my cousin over, I think I would feel better. Or maybe if I was in a room where I could like see the outdoors, not through barred windows. Yeah. Or if I could like write down my feelings, I think that would make me feel better. And he's like, aha, you silly little goose. You shouldn't give in to these nervous whimsies. Oh my gosh. So the little goose thing made me angry. But at one point, where's my note about this? At one point, he called her little girl. Shut the front door. Yeah. Towards the end of the um the short story, he calls her little girl. When she's like, you know, I think she's like petting the wallpaper at that point. And he's like, little girl stop that or something i hate him i like lost my shit i was reading it and i like stopped when i was audiobooking it and i stopped what i was doing at work and i just went you're fucking kidding me so my note goes calling your wife little girl is no bueno now if you have (laughs) one of those relationships cool no kink shaming here live your best life (laughs) however if you do not for fuck's sakes you do not call your wife a little girl that's how you get divorced Except this was the Victorian times. Yeah, I have read Frankenstein and I have read Heart of Darkness. So I'm not going to say I've never wanted to punch a character this much. But I've definitely never wanted to punch a character more than this much. I will say that. Yeah, it was like a visceral reaction of, are you fucking kidding me? Like you're locking her up away and then you're like infantilizing her? Yeah. Everything she says about her needs every time she expresses anything she wants he says oh that's a nervous fancy don't give in to nervous fancies that's the worst thing to do i hate him your reading of it is the most common one now which is the feminist reading this didn't start until about 50 years ago it was rediscovered as a story in the 1970s during the second wave of feminism the second wave of feminism if you haven't followed the three waves of feminism is um basically the one where they were like all women's issues are the same women's issues and they didn't have like intersectionality yet (laughs) do we have it now we certainly try but yeah that's when they were rediscovering it and they were started reading the story as like there's the two men in her life that are oppressing her they're both doctors they're her husband and her brother the most important people in her life presumably like the most important men in her life at least and it's like a reading of how the male dominated medical scene in the victorian era was damaging to women and how it disregarded women You know, the thing that kind of happens now. So she's like, it's bad advice. It's bad, bad, bad advice. The rest cure is fake. She's not allowed to work or write or have visitors or be around her baby or even repaper the nursery, which she hates so much. So basically, all the things she is allowed to do is just sit there. And that's like the domestic sphere in feminism. So like she's allowed to be in the home. She's not allowed to be out of the home or having ideas. And the thing she was diagnosed with was hysteria. I thought this was a mental term, but apparently it was a catch-all term for women's mental illnesses, but it was actually thought to stem from a physical issue. It was thought to be the result of a malfunctioning uterus. Yeah, essentially hysteria happened when your room 
decided it was no longer going to be where it was and started affecting other parts of your body with its magic. Sorry, so wait. So is this like wandering womb syndrome? Is this what this is supposed to be? I believe it's like a successor of the wandering womb syndrome. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh yeah. So um, reducing women to their bodies. Yeah, I mean hysteria was also another like term for like women with high libido, which is great. Yeah, it was basically like anything that men didn't want women to do. They were like, oh, it's hysteria. Ah, oh, she's talking too loud. It's hysteria. Ah, oh, she wrote a book criticizing the government. It's hysteria. Oh, but she's existing. It's probably hysteria. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, I mean, so I guess there's some thing to be said about finding safety in confinement because like at some point she says like she likes sitting in her chair you know that she has so maybe her misinformed husband was like oh she likes to be in small spaces like her chair maybe i'll put her in an attic but i don't really know why i wrote down small chair in my notes (laughs) however i do want to talk about how the room itself gets worse as the story progresses. Yes. Okay. So I think you're going to touch on something that is another reading. Um, so I will just briefly go over what that reading is. Okay. So one of the other readings I wanted to talk about was the psychological reading. Yep. So it does talk about like what mental illnesses she could have been dealing with. But mostly it's, I don't like it because it's saying she misreads the wallpaper, which is just her repressed self. Because of her psychological state, like, first of all, obviously, she's rereading the wallpaper because of her psychological state. There's not actually a woman trapped in the wallpaper. No one was saying there was. But I think this reading is kind of condescending to people with mental illnesses. There are lots of ways your brain does things, and I don't think they should be saying that it's, like, a personal failing of hers that she's not reading the wallpaper correctly. I was talking more about the state of the room. So the room itself is the mind. Yes. Her repressed self is like her mind. Yeah. And I think it is the wallpaper. Yes. However, I want to go a step further. Okay. Okay. Hit me. With the physical aspect of the attic. So the attic is at the top of the house. Yes. It's a nursery. It's a a nursery in the attic. Yes. That was used for babies and then it was used for like little children to play in and that's where there's bars on the window so they don't like fall out by accident. Yeah. Okay. Here, this is going to be a, a wild ride. Just hear me out, okay? So the attic is in the top part of the house. The brain is in the top house of the person. The top house of the person. Top part of the person. <laughs> the bars symbolize um, the obstruction to good mental health, right? Okay. So at the beginning, when she's in the room, when she's in her mind, she's like, this is fine. I can see that there's bars. There's some weird yellow wallpaper. It smells kind of wonky, but she's kind of okay. And the more she stays in the room, the more that the room and her mind deteriorates. Mm. So now she's starting to see like all the like scratches in the floor and that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So like the room physically deteriorates as they go through the poem at uh, the short story. So even at the end, when there's no longer that much furniture in the room, it's like, you know, parts of her are like, you know, falling by the wayside. Like there's less parts of her and more parts of the madness. Mm-hmm, yeah. Because like even the furniture, like she had asked to bring the furniture from downstairs upstairs because like that was a part that like she enjoyed, like she had something she liked. And then the more she gets stuck into this house, um, this room, the less parts of herself that she gets. And I think... When she's starting to peel away 
at the wallpaper itself. It's kind of like her cry for help. Um, so she's trying to get out of this mind trap that she's in by like removing this wallpaper because she thinks it's the issue, but really it's being stuck in her own head. It's being stuck in this attic, just stuck in here all the time. That's making the issue worse. I like this reading. But it's less about the lady in the in the wallpaper itself and more about the physical space she encompasses in this attic being like a, a metaphor, I guess, for an allegory for her mind. Interesting. At least that's what I got from it today. I like this reading. Because I never really got between behind the whole like, but who's the lady in the wallpaper? Uh, I don't really care who the lady in the wallpaper is. It doesn't matter. Because she gets out, air quotes, and there's only one lady, which means there was never another lady. She doesn't get possessed or whatever. Well, she's acting like she's been possessed. Well, yes, but she's also like, you know, she's reached her limit of mental health capacity, you know? Yeah. We're not meant to read it as like a supernatural thing. We're meant to read it as like her personal mental state Yeah, is such that she thinks she's this woman. Yeah. And like, you know, this whole like losing yourself thing is, is really interesting, but I find... The aspect that it's a, it was a nursery before it became her jail cell. Really interesting in the fact that she like has all of these troubles because she just had a child. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's very tied to her postpartum mood disorder. Yeah. Which becomes postpartum psychosis, but really just kind of psychosis because her husband has locked her up yeah. in isolation for weeks and weeks on end. And like I think when I was reading it the first time, I always thought that like the... The woman behind the wallpaper wasn't actually a woman. Like, for some reason, my reading was always that, like, it was the little kids at the beginning. Oh, jeez. That's creepy. No, I hate that. Yeah, it was really creepy. And then I re-listened to it today, and it obviously wasn't. But I think if it had been, I would have been even more on the nose about the whole, like, postpartum issues she was having. Yeah. I I always think that scary stories that have kids in them are really creepy because I think kids have a link somehow to a realm that we don't have access to. How many times have you heard of kids being like, there's a man standing in the corner of the room? That's not how kids talk, but you know. Why is your kid's voice my American man voice? They're the same person. (laughs) Your American man is just my child in the future. (laughs) All children are American. I have a creepy Victorian child. And it's American. (laughs) And and it's American. Yeah. But they, you know, they like, there's so many ghost stories where someone's like, oh yeah, my kid just started talking about, you know, like my great, great grandmother and how she wanted me to be happy. And it's like, okay, cool. I hate that. Like, it's nice, but I hate it. You know, like stories with kids in them. Yeah. Scary stories with kids in them are the scariest, scary stories to me. Yeah. Like, imagine the cast of Montiana, but Montiana's almost five years old. Oh my god. Brick, brick. Hey, Fortunato, can you lay this brick down? I can't reach it. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. I hate it. I can't believe you've done this. It's ruined forever. No, you love me. I am holding you personally responsible. But it's like how my cat, when we first got her, Every single day at exactly nine o'clock on the dot, she would go to a certain door frame in my house. There's not a door in it, but it's like an opening for a, a door um, to the basement. And she would stare at the top left corner of the door frame and she would just 
howl. And I was like, there's a ghost there. Something bad happened there. Turns out you just killed a spider there by accident. (laughs) It's a spider ghost. Spider ghost. Spider ghost. If I didn't have the cat who had the supernatural ghost link, I never would have known about the creepy ghost in the corner of my doorframe at nine o'clock every night. But now I have to live with that information. And that's what kids do. They find information that you didn't need to know about and they tell you about it. Oh, kids are fun. What I think the woman is, it's just she's seeing herself. Like she thinks she's trapped. So when she starts seeing bars in the wallpaper, she starts seeing a woman crawling around. And I think she's like picturing herself because she's trapped. I get that. I think that fits okay with my interpretation of it all. Yeah, I agree. I think we have a lot of overlap in our readings. Okay, reading numero trace. Trace. That's three in Spanish. Trois. Didn't know this was a language learning podcast, did you? So basically, this is the reading that was most common for the original readership um, when it came out in 1892, which is the Gothic reading. Ooh, can I can I say something? Please go ahead. Okay, so there's this part, right? Yes, right. Right, where Jenny, who's, um, you know, the, the woman who's also there, the housemaid or whatever, after our narrator had like ripped up a bunch of the wallpaper. Um, she looked at the wall in amazement, but I told her merrily that I did it out of pure spite at the vicious thing, thing here being the wallpaper. Jenny laughed and said she wouldn't mind doing it herself, but I must not get tired. How she betrayed herself that time. So this idea that like Jenny sees the wallpaper and she's like, oh yeah, man, that's, you know, bad times. That's some garbage wallpaper. No one likes that wallpaper. But it also kind of like speaks to the idea of like, is this wallpaper something that like all women commonly should hate? I think it's just like universally ugly. Like, yes, but I meant more on like a metaphorical aspect of like, to what degree does the yellow wallpaper represent women being trapped in general? And is Jenny like, without even knowing that it was, she was agreeing to it, like she also found that these traps that we were putting women on were terrible. You know? Perchance. Perchance. Anyways, passes the Bechdel test, though, because they talk about something that's not men. Yeah, they talk about hating wallpaper. Yeah. Okay, so here are some gothic elements of this story. So we've got the setting and motifs. The setting is a large estate. They're just staying there for the summer. It's not their house. Three months. Yeah, and I think she's there for, like, the whole three months, basically. Yeah. Her husband wants her to get air. Not like there isn't air inside, you know? That's Chronicles of Narnia reference. Haven't read it. It's the movie. That's not from the book. Haven't seen it. Oh my god, you're a wreck. Get wrecked. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's described as an ancestral estate, I think. Like a heritage estate. It's big. It's been sitting empty for years. And she describes it as a haunted house. But she admits that it's like not actually. She admits that she's making up a story for it because it seems that way. Because she's a writer and she is a story builder. And... That's probably why she starts getting so freaked out because she's got such a wild imagination. And then when she has nowhere to put it and she's not allowed to write, it goes into her real life. Right. So it's like kind of just a big creepy house. It's like where you would picture a scary story to happen, like a big mansion. Yeah, like it has that mansion, bad things happen here. It's been empty for a while, kind of haunted house nonsense to it anyways. Yeah, like a gothic house. Yeah. Then there's the wallpaper. Yep. 
It's described as repellent. The color is described as unclean. And then there's really violent imagery with the way she describes the patterns. Like they dive off or like the eyes dangle upside down. Yeah. And then she's saying her hallucinations seem supernatural. Like she's not describing them as her hallucinations, but she's like, there's a woman, something creepy is happening with this woman. So I think she thinks that there's a ghost kind of Mm. inside the wallpaper and it's like crawling woman crawling in circles behind the bars in the wallpaper that she sees at night because of the shadow of the Moon. bars on the window. Yep. Then when she rips off the wallpaper to free the woman, the end image is her crawling in circles around the outside of the room and she's saying, I got out at last in spite of you. It's such an unsettling, grotesque image mm-hmm. that really sits with you. That is the last line and it's so creepy. Yeah, and I think that might have been why I thought it was kids because I picture gothic stories as having kids in them. Yeah. Because of the creepy factor. Um, like The Shining? I haven't seen it. How have you not seen anything? I keep away from things that are going to make me upsetty. <laughs> I've read too many upsetty things. No upsetty spaghetti for Amy. No. Also, can I just bring it back to my weird reading from before? The kids one? No, The House of the Mind. Yes. So early on in the story, she says, I'm getting really fond of the room in spite of the wallpaper, perhaps because of the wallpaper. So I think there's a certain aspect here where like she finds some solace in like her own mental state, you know, or just like accepting what she's where she is because there's a camaraderie. I think she's just so bored. Like she's so, so bored. There's nothing to do. Yeah. It's really bad to be in isolation with nothing to do. And the one thing that she has to entertain her are her hallucinations. Yeah. So she kind of leans into them because there's nothing else to do. She actually names drops the doctor she was seeing also in the story. Yeah, I saw that too. But that's beside the point. This story was kind of like a a gotcha to that doctor. She took it. She had her rescuer. She almost lost her mind because it's really bad for you to do something like that. Yeah. And then she got out of it and she went against the doctor's orders and started writing again and started like going out and exercising and seeing people. And then she realized like what a narrow escape she had had from totally losing it. And she wrote this story and then she took the story and mailed it to the doctor and she never heard back. But Apparently, he did change his methods and stop prescribing this rescue thing. I read that as well. Yeah, Gilman claimed that many years later, she learned that Mitchell had changed his treatment methods, but the literary historian, Julie Bates Docks, discredited this and that he continued his methods um, and was apparently interested in creating an entire hospital devoted to the rescuer, which... What the fridge? Yeah, what the fridge? Oh, he sucks. He sucks so bad. You know who he is? Please. He's like Victor Frankenstein. Yeah, he really is. Who didn't know how reproduction works despite being a doctor. Yeah. That's what this guy is. These doctors who don't know how to be doctors, they are not good and I don't like them. And that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> but um, Anne did tell us that the medical advice in general back then was really bad. Listener Anne out there. She said that it was the thing for doctors not to wash their hands. That was seen as showing that you're a real doctor, like going from patient to patient and not washing your hands. And they're like, oh, why are these patients getting sick? 
with the things that all the other patients are getting. Guess it's a really common disease. It's like, no, you just brought that disease from one patient to the next. You brought your tuberculosis with you. Yeah, you're carrying tuberculosis around the hospital. Stop doing it. It's not your phone. Please lice all your hands. (laughs) I'm very upset. I mean, doctors are mostly good, but some of them are mostly bad you know like it's a science but it's also like it's a science performed by people you know yeah they're actually saying now um that they're recommending that doctors take arts like they take the arts or the humanities so that they have more of like a perspective on you know social skills they have more soft skills and social skills so that they have a better bedside manner obviously all doctors should have that but then there's also like on top of that There's these Victorian and pre-Victorian doctors, like this guy and Victor Frankenstein, that they were still figuring so much out. And half of the advice that they were getting was really, really bad. Like, their research was very anecdotal. They didn't have a whole lot of ways to reliably share information with each other. And there wasn't, like, a central place that they could get their information from. So they would just, like... Spread it with hearsay. Like, modern medicine is only as good as it it is because, in part, we have globalization. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, the means to communicate the information. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, like, eradicating smallpox would not have happened had we not had the logistics, like, the modern logistics we have, even in the 70s, you know? Yeah, like, imagine if right now... If we had to be like, there's an outbreak of COVID in Toronto and nowhere else in the world, we should write a letter to tell the other doctors about this and send it out on a person on a horse. And then that person on a horse takes it to the other towns and brings the COVID there. That's what was happening. I mean, yes, but also what would have been worse at that point, like COVID would have been kept in one space probably at the time. There was minimal travel, but there still was travel. There, like, there were merchants and stuff. Yeah, I mean, the Spanish flu, which we talked about last two weeks ago, last episode, spread mainly because of everybody coming home from the war. Yeah, that's true. Had that not happened, probably wouldn't have exploded as much. So globalization has its uh, pros and cons, obviously. Yeah, it might not have even come to North America. That's true. But yeah, I think, like, doctors at this time really sucked and really sucked when they were talking to women. Yeah. You know? Like, they would cure syphilis for men in the blink of an eye, you know? Excuse me. That is not a good example. I mean, they would attempt to treat it. That example is poor because content warning again for this just being gross. Uh, You can skip ahead two minutes. But the way they treated syphilis was they took, like, a spiky stick and they stuck it... In the urethra. Yeah, and tried to drain the pus out by like poking holes basically and it's like yeah by dragging it out yeah absolutely not that is a poor example yeah i'm not saying that it was good (laughs) i'm just saying that at least they tried to do something for it whereas with women they were like poked you with a stick You're still alive. Go rest a bit. Uh, You know? I have a question. See? There was a time in history, and I think it was the Victorian era, where one of the potential cures for hysteria 
was vibrators. Oh, yeah, that was like in the um, late Victorian, early Edwardian periods. Okay, interesting. Yeah. That was around this time. Yeah, so that's, um, like, that was a common thing. Like, if you had hysteria, you would go to your doctor and, like, he or she, probably more he, though. Considering that Charlotte Perkins Gilman went to one of the first female doctors that existed. Yeah. I'm going to say it was probably a he. Yeah, and uh, they would, uh, you know, before electric means, um, you know, stimulate you (laughs) until you were cured from your hysteria. So that was one of the cures, which really... Like, get better 11, you know? I can see why they might have thought that. Because also during the Victorian era, when they ruined everything forever, is when they thought that if a woman reached completion during intercourse, she would shoot out the egg. And you were only supposed to be having intercourse if you were trying to get pregnant. So (laughs) what you're saying is the Victorians are responsible for, one, us not having good um, ways of communication about sex because they made us all repress. And two, they also made sure that women weren't, quote, unquote, reaching completion. (laughs) The Victorians had really bad sex ed. Okay, so I know we're talking about the yellow wallpaper here, but (laughs) what I really want to be talking about is how the Victorians just... Fucked up the world for us in general. So, they gave us this nonsense. Yes, the rest cure nonsense, the hysteria nonsense. Yeah, and they made us all repress and stuff. And, like, even, like, hundreds of years later, okay, a hundred years later, we're still trying to undo that. How many, like, BuzzFeed articles or Cosmopolitan articles are how to communicate with your partner about your wants and needs? It's like, shouldn't that just be something we know how to do? Yeah, like, I think that was just a thing people did before the Victorian era. And then the Victorians were like, no, we can't talk about it. We can only communicate in furtive glances. Can you button my cuffs, please? (laughs) The Victorians are the reason that the song Baby It's Cold Outside exists. Most likely. Because if the Victorians hadn't existed, the song Baby It's Cold Outside would be like, I really can't stay. Okay, see you tomorrow. (laughs) Or it would be like, I think I will stay. Okay, let's go up to my bedroom. It would have been one or the other. And so, yeah, so they did that and then they gave us poor medical advice like doctors who just don't believe women and they just completely erased women from history making us you know live in corsets and not be able to breathe and i've never worn a corset in my life and i still don't breathe properly because i'm taught that i need to be all small and stuff and i only breathe with my top of my lungs which is bad boo boo another thing they did that was bad is they took all the classic greek and roman architecture not architecture i just mean art art they maybe also possibly architecture like sculptures in architecture irregardless i'm saying that facetiously i know it's not a word um (laughs) They took all of this art and the sculptures and stuff, and they just, like, washed off the paint. Would you say they whitewashed them? They did whitewash them. They did. They whitewashed history, and they whitewashed art. Look up colorful Greek statues, and you will see how banging this could have been. Like, yeah, it was tacky. Yeah, it might look like your hoarder grandfather's basement, but it was also kind of cool. Yeah, this whole, like, period before postmodernism... For me, just isn't doing it, you know? 
Like, just everything before, like, the 1990s. Yeah. Like, it's just bad times. And I'm sure I'm going to say the same thing in, like, 20 years of our times right now. But, like, I need better doctors. (laughs) My doctor is great. I'm not knocking on my doctor. No, there are great doctors. It's just that these ones were not. Like, anecdotally, if you go on Reddit, you'll see, like, hundreds of women being like, oh, I have this. And I'm like, okay, have you considered X, Y, Z? And they're like, no, and then they bring it up to the doctors and they're like, oh, yeah, it is XYZ. And I'm like, I've watched a lot of house. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I just, I think, I think the before times are just bad times. And I will say that about every time until we get infinitely smart. Until we die. Yeah. You'll say it until death. You'll be on your deathbed and be like, hmm, last week, not so good. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so the yellow wallpaper, it's a very interesting short story about the state of women's health in the you know late 1800s early 1900s it discusses women's health specifically around childbirth and how it's not seen as something that's you know recognized at the time and even now it's still something that a lot of people you know don't really recognize for themselves but luckily now At least we recognize that childbirth is not just a women's issue. Yes. So there's some progress. And like, I think we have a lot more resources now, which is great. But I think the yellow wallpaper still stands as a cautionary tale against not listening to people when they tell you what would be best for them. Yes. Much like Frankenstein, uh, the yellow wallpaper is a cautionary tale against not having bodily autonomy. Yes. And mind autonomy also. Yes. So on that note... On a scale of your husband, John, locking you in an attic that represents your mind (laughs) to being able to roam in the English countryside and pet some dogs, what would you rate this? Um, I would rate this you're allowed to go out in your garden and pet some cats because that's what I would rather be doing. And I really like this story. Uh, I find it very cool. I think the author is really cool. I mean, you might want to re- re- retake that. Why? No. <laughs> Why? No! Don't your fave is problematic, me, Charlotte Perkins Gilman. I'm so sad. You did this with T.S. Eliot, too, and I'm really upset. <laughs> what? What did she do? With regards to African Americans, Gilman wrote in the American Journal of Sociology, we have to consider the unavoidable presence of a large body of aliens of a race widely dissimilar and in many respects inferior, whose present status is to us a social injury. No! Ugh. Literary critic Suzanne L. Lancer has suggested that the yellow wallpaper should be interpreted by focusing on Gilman's belief about race. Other literary critics have been built on Lancer's work to understand Gilman's ideas in relation to her work to the turn of century culture more broadly she's not great no she's not cool i redact that and i'm upset furthermore i'm gonna move this to you can write in your journal in the study and i'm very upset with charlotte perkins gilman right now we have had a major falling out I still like the story, but I'm never going to say she's cool again. We're allowed to enjoy stories and what they give us and the purpose they serve, irregardless, quote unquote, she said facetiously, (laughs) of their authors. Yeah. Sorry. You can enjoy things and recognize that the person who created them is not good. And if the person is not dead, then maybe the best thing is to just not give them money and enjoy it for free, which saves money. So 
win-win. I guess that's it for us this week. If you like this podcast, we can be found on Twitter at UnsightedPod, on the emails, unsightedpodcast at outlook.com, on Redbubble. If you look up Unsighted Podcast, you can find our merch. You can also share us with your friends, strangers, or enemies, and give us a rating of five stars on the iTunes store. That would really be great and helps lots of people find us. And as always, we're excited unavailable. As always, no function. <laughs> really great job. All right, stop recording. No, That's it. Stop, That's wait. That <laughs>